welcome to Do the Right Thing, your weekly writing prompt podcast. I'm Matthias. And I'm Jarvis. Jarvis and I are English majors, and we just started classes again, and so we are very, very busy. So we, we issue a challenge to sit down each week and write a complete short story using three of four randomly generated words. And then sometimes we come on the podcast, we read the story, we talk about what we learned in writing it, but we always talk about the listener-submitted stories. Exactly. We're simply here to help you do the right thing. A doof media production. Media production. Um, nice. So there's been a slight alteration here in the intro because, uh, as I just mentioned, we just started classes this last week. And so we're a little been quite difficult. swamped. <laughs> I know Jarvis is writing a lot for his classes. And mm-hmm. uh, so we figured that now would be as good a time as any to start experimenting with this other form of the podcast in which we don't read the story that we wrote this week because we didn't write one this week because we were busy. Um, But we do, and we always will, as long as Do the Right Thing exists, we will always talk about the listener-submitted stories because that's the most important part. And uh, we want to give you all the attention you deserve and the praise you all deserve. And uh, that's what we like to see. We like to see y'all writing stories. So Exactly. Um, and, and of course, that doesn't mean that we won't write any story ever. Mm-hmm. It just means that on some weeks, we might be coming to the table without a story, whether it be a very busy week. I know at least on uh, my plate, uh, it's very heavy when it comes to reading and writing. I think uh, this week alone, I've, I've already um, submitted a multi-page essay. And that's just the first week. So, of course, it's going to be a lot thicker going going down the road. So all yeah. that to say that that on some weeks we will definitely come with a story, but others we might not. But no matter what, we will always have a fantastic a fantastic conversation about writing. And, of course, talk about your wonderful stories that you do submit. Yeah. Um, we always want to give y'all the recognition y'all deserve. And... Uh... Yeah, I, that, that's the one thing that I really, really don't want to see go away and do the right thing is y'all's stories because they're so good. And like, oh. I just, it was really important to me with so-called writers. Um, and I'm really, really happy to be providing that for other people. So this week's words were temptation, hover, bear and fault. And I know that you didn't write a story this week, Matthias, but if you did, what words would you have chosen? Um, you know, I, I think I would want to follow the trend in our comments, uh, in, in our submitted stories, the section of using the word bear. Yeah. Um, I think temptation and fault would be a, a good combination. Just, mm-hmm. um, some, some kind of, uh, tempting bear, uh, that is at fault for something. I think would, would have been the, the, the trend I would have gone in. Uh, but yeah, I noticed a lot in, in the submitted stories that we got this week, there was a lot of bears. Um, which is really <laughs> fun to read. I, yeah. I think there was a, definitely a, a, a trend in the, the stories this week. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like almost all of them were, were bear-themed. Almost all of them focus on some sort of bear. Some even made bear supernatural creatures, which I thought was really cool. So, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I am very excited to talk about them. Okay. Exactly. So... In the slight absence of uh, there being a story this week, we will be talking about certain uh, motifs within writing. Um, Specifically this week, I think we're going to talk about the small details and how those can be used to build tension throughout a story, whether it be horror, drama, or romance. Yeah, uh, but specifically the concept of using those little details to signal things that are much more important than just that little... like. 
a lot of times we we say just to add in details to make something feel like more vivid and stuff like that but that's actually one of the like least important reasons to add in details usually details Mm -hmm. can inform a lot more than just like a scene um i mean they always do inherently and the 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 trick is just making sure that those other things that it informs are actually important and flow with what you're trying to make happen in the story Exactly. Like, uh, for instance, recently I've been reading a lot of the Maltese Falcon, and the way that it is written is very light on a lot of on a lot of details. Um, the way that that is written is very point by point. Th- this happens. This happens. This happens. But when the when the details are used, it tells you so much more about how you're supposed to feel about this scene. Like, there's a scene specifically where a character shows up that you're very used to us seeing uh they're basically one of the main characters but their shoes are are very muddy and throughout that whole moment there is heavy focus on those shoes and that is being used to basically in inform us that we shouldn't fully trust what this person is saying so just so just small things mm-hmm. like like that especially when it comes to a uh mystery basically informs us on a new way to look at this character and uh, not to spoil, and not to spoil the actual story, but <laughs> this, but this character with muddy shoes, of course, was up to no mm, good. Mm. So, for those who don't know, the Maltese Falcon, I'm pretty sure, is uh, what like the first detective novel, is it, basically. Yeah, it is. It is the first one. It is the most widely. Uh, it's the most widely acclaimed one as not only being one of one of the first detective novels, but also kind of establishing uh, the genre of noir. Ah, okay, 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 okay. Right, so it's more like a noir. It's not like... It was like Sherlock before it? I think so, right? Yeah. yeah. Okay. So I mean, so I mean that. So, so I mean that would definitely be the first like, detective, detective detective novel. Now, now I will say that the that the Maltese Falcon was one of the first big ones to happen here mm. in the Americas. Right. Um, which, which definitely kind of formed a lot of how uh, those sort of noir or detective mm-hmm. uh, books and also, t- and also TV and film were kind of constructed for years and decades to come, even even to to now. Uh, when it comes to uh, neo noir, a lot of the motifs have carried over from that book. Yeah. Um, and a side note: not that it's noir. Uh, I just saw Knives Out recently. It's very good. It's Ooh, really good. I I I really really I had a good time. dig that film. Uh, mostly be because um, it had the same thing going for it as in um murder on the orient mm-hmm. express but with knives out it has like a far better tone mm-hmm. to it and it's not hey it's not taking itself horribly serious yeah. to the point to where it's a enjoyable film because mm-hmm. i felt for for me that was the downfall of the of the murder on the orient express like yes it is taking itself serious but when you find out how the murder happened, they tried to make it like this beautiful sort of crescendo of of emotions and revenge and relief to where me as a audience just kind of found it pretentious in a sense. I think so, too. Uh, back to detail. <laughs> so, yes, yeah, so the stuff about um, 
the like the how a character is described uh it can contradict stuff that they say or be used to accentuate it right are people tired are people panting you know that they just come in from a run that kind of thing um but it can also do a lot more for the tone and especially of uh, if you're using some kind of character influence narration it can tell you a lot about the character like why is the character noticing this thing um and uh, how does that reflect both on the, you know, the environment, the setting, but also that main narration character, right? Um, how much time do they pay attention to the blood, right? Or, um, like, is there a lot of blood in the scene, but they don't actually care about it? Or, yeah, basically, what do they notice and what do they not pay as much attention about? Exactly. And uh, I think one major thing that I've, been, that I've seen used in a lot of different novels and just art in in general is this idea that the things that you leave out can be more purposeful than the the things that you add in uh and i mean going off of the same idea of what a what a character focuses on like if a detective comes in to a crime scene but he doesn't talk about the the blood or the murder weapon he talks about the uh victim's feet well, that tells you so much about this this main character, and it also tells you a lot about who this victim is just by the uh, focus on their feet and nothing else. And of course, that will then go into what the tone of the story is and certain things that will be revealed later on down the... Uh, when it comes to adding any sort of detail, it's this very careful game that a lot of great writers do where they are they are balancing between giving us e- enough to inform us going forward without without bogging us down with that and keeping the the key things the things that will that will surprise us overall hidden so that they can be used at the appropriate time mm-hmm. yeah now i'm trying to think of a detective that pays a lot of attention to feet and and uh, what what that all means? Maybe Sherlock Holmes. I I haven't read all of his uh, of those novels. I've read about half of them, um, but uh, Sherlock does tend to focus on very peculiar. Yeah, sure, things. sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it, yeah, it would tell you that they are ignoring the obvious and they're finding other things. Um, so some other uh, things that's really good for setups is to um, you, you put in a lot of details, but not like um, you put in a lot of details so that the really important ones, the ones that will be pivotal, pivotal later on to understanding something um, or to foreshadowing something, something that like you, you plant the idea in the back of their mind, but not enough to uh, make them know what's going to happen. Is yeah, is by putting it bearing in a bunch of other details, so you don't know which one is like the most important thing. But in the mm-hmm. end, it's kind of like all are supposed to be important. Um, everything should serve multiple purposes, it, it, even if that's just like building tone and also character at the same time. But setting things up as well is even better. Exactly, exactly. I mean, really, it's uh, going off of the same concept of uh, Chekhov's gun, right? Is that if you show something the assumption of of the audience is that that will come in uh, that 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 will come into play later if you show a gun or a knife odds are that that it will be used mm-hmm. um and of course again it is a very careful game that that a writer does play when it comes to coming up with these certain scenes and these 
and these details because I think one major one major issue that that could possibly come from a uh, amateur writer such as our ourselves is to put in too much detail to where the audience uh, to, to where the audience doesn't know exactly what to focus on exactly what is important so again it is giving them enough to where that they know what to expect going forward without bogging them down with those details mm. Basically, you just have to use them, use them sparingly. Sure. Uh, uh, yeah. So on on providing too much detail, um, I think you can get away with a lot if that's like your style. Uh, I mean, you know mm-hmm. that a Game of Thrones or a Song of Ice and Fire is written with a lot of details about things that don't really feel like they matter sometimes, like you know descriptions of food or whatever. But that does inform you on like wh- how what is the tone of this particular you know dinner or whatever. Um, and do do our characters enjoying themselves that kind of thing, and what does that imply? Uh, I mean, often it's set up to for for some terrible betrayal that's going to happen later on, right? Mm-hmm. Um, exactly. And also, you know, one of the dangers is to uh, try your best not to go Lovecraft with it, right? <laughs> well, I mean, <laughs> you can go Lovecraft if you want to go Lovecraft. Is the thing you you want all your Lovecraft stuff to also be like important? Because I think, like, I love Lovecraft, regardless of his personal views. <laughs> uh, I I love the kind of worlds that he is able to build with this. But, of course, even though I do have, have, have that love for the art um, that he has created, of course, there are very crucial issues with how uh, you will read pages of any one of his stories and you're going nowhere. Mm. Right, and he's just giving you all of this, I guess, well, well written description, but it's not pushing the the story forward. I think the most in, I think the most important thing we kind of have to focus on as sort of amateur writers is that whatever we do put down on that page should serve the the purpose of pushing this this story forward whether giving us more about this this main character or giving us bits about where this story is really going that is the most crucial crux that i have when it comes to writing is getting caught up in this one moment getting caught up in this one scene to where you're adding so much detail to the point where none of it really matters, mm. in a sense. And and that is the job of the writer, to tell the audience what does matter. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, there's a bunch of different trains of thought regarding how to best use detail and like what is the purpose of it. I'm trying to find out the exact term for the more minimalist style. I don't think the term is actually minimalism. Um, but, you, you know, the kind of style that like Hemingway uses, where... Uh, it's very yes. simple. The, the only things that are mentioned are the the bare bones for you to understand what's going on. Putting a story down to to the its its most base features, that is one way to, to do it, and I think it's definitely worth like trying and emulating. I, I think especially now the swing in the other direction is not as enjoyed as much that that over description because right now uh, our attention spans are lower and we really we we for the most part really do only want to see the most important details. I mean, if you go back and look, read the Lord of the Rings right now, you might have a little bit of difficulty <laughs> because there's a lot of just like descriptions of just traveling and stuff. I think there's times where you can like let things breathe more. Uh, but no matter what, even those details where you do go above and beyond, they should be serving some uh, dual purpose other than just like, it, you should never write something just because like, that's how it is in your head, you know? Like, why is yeah. it 
it being in your head probably has some other reasons behind it already. But like, like if you um, have a you know a knight show up and you describe the exact details of like what the like figure on the breastplate looks like or whatever or what the, what the flag looks like exactly, unless if each of those specific like if um if we describe a flag right. We can describe it as mm-hmm. just like a, a green flag, or we can say a green flag with a you know dragon in the middle, or we can go on and on and go uh, a green flag with a dragon in the middle surrounded by uh, a, a shield that's split into four parts with a fleur de lis in in the upper left and a crown in the bottom right and whatever, and you can go on and on. And if you do do the last one, readers of course are going to assume that every single one of those things is actually like important and means something significant that is going to be relevant. The crown means it's royal house. The Florida lease is it means something else, and those things are going to come up. But if they don't come up, knight gets killed in the next you know page. It's all yeah. it was not worth it at all to describe that you could have just said a flag with a dragon on it or whatever and i mean of of course we are not telling you not to to do these things we are just uh saying to be cautious about adding too much detail on things that don't that don't matter i mean not to of course go back to, to the age old conversation but we are post postmodern or postmodern or, or like whatever and almost every other movement within the literary world over the last let's say 100 years was focusing more and more on the simplicity of of things and basically writing something to where the common person could understand it and kind of finding a relation with with that person in the most basic means of expression yeah i think that's actually like um um, that idea of simplifying things down and making the communicating a story in the most efficient and like effective way i think it's actually a very modernist um i think it belongs within that trend of of modernism modernism was very much like there are objective good things some of them are like efficiency and maximizing utility and other stuff like that um and i think postmodern is basically going none of that matters actually annoying your audience is just as valid as making them entertained (laughs) or making them cry or whatever um and then just like breaking mediums and stuff like that so exactly i mean i think that is the that's the golden ticket of right now is that we are in a place to where yeah if you do want to add a mountain of description you can do that um because of course right right now the best thing you could possibly do is try and push push the bounds of your writing try and push exactly what it is i think the best thing for us as uh up and coming i guess or uh amateur writers is to experiment with those things not only is it your own spin on the form but it can also draw eyes in a sense um but of course, you know, e- even if you are experimenting with something that is well established, you have to make sure that it is effective, that what you are writing isn't just to provoke people, but to get to a means to an end. Yeah. Um, is there anything else we want to talk about uh, regarding detail specifically? No, I think we kind of just uh, talked around the the topic pretty well. I think right now, though, it's a perfect time to just kind of cruise into our mm-hmm. listener submitted stories. Yeah, so so on this last section that that we just did, uh, if any of y'all were like, "Wow, that was really annoying," 
or <laughs> uh, whatever else. <laughs> or if you have any topics you want us to talk about um, or any other suggestions, please uh, let us know in a discussion thread or in an email. We would love to, to hear your feedback. Exactamundo. So, of course, we're going to go on into our listener submitted story sections, which means we are going to spoil all of the stories we are about to talk about. So, if you haven't read them, I would say wait till we actually announce them, then pause, go read them, and come on back here so we can talk about them with you. So, the stories for this week are by Captain Rhino, Ace of Sword, Kamikaze Tomato, Sensei Sama Sensei, and Stop Stealing My Gmail. That's right. Um, all right, let's 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 get into them. Who's first? So the first story is by Ace of Sword with Unseen Depths. Which is a, a sequel to an, uh, an entry that they absolutely, I think, in episode 47, uh, mm-hmm. titled Still, Still Water. Water. So just mm-hmm. uh, to, to sum up that one real quick, we had uh, this is a world in which uh, concepts, um, specifically like emotions, can be personified into monsters. Um, and uh, this one town is now being plagued by a uh, monster in a lake made of bloodlust, and therefore it mm. it kills people because of course it does. Delicious. So our main character Kayla, um, she is, is standing on a hill, basically preparing for for the fight. In our in our last entry, um, the the village has decided to use themselves as bait for the bloodlust to come out. Um, and, uh, she's sitting on a hill with a rifle and she's getting ready to fight it. And, uh, so the, the bloodlust monster comes out. It has endless arms and, and mouths and it's really horrible. And, uh, Kayla's having trouble, uh, facing it off because they has no weak points. It's just a bunch of arms and stuff. And so she's trying really hard to find those weak points. She's able to, to find an eye, um, and, and shoot that. Uh, but not before like one or two people of the village get pulled apart by bloodlust. It's actually very, it's described in a way where it's like, clearly there are horrible, horrible things going on, but we're not like going to look directly at it, you know? Um, Mm -hmm. Like someone's getting pulled apart in the background, but like we don't necessarily look at the limb coming off of the body. But it's, it's charging closer. There's this, and her, her gun jams before she can like fully take it down. She pulls out her other gun, but, um, She's uh, safe because this other guy uh, comes in with a, a pitchfork and is able to uh, distract it. I mean, he gets he dies too, which was very tragic to me. I was like, oh, they're going to be friends. No, they're not. He's dead. <laughs> um, it, then, then she's able to finally um, find an, another eye and able to crush it using her gun. And then she shoots it. We, so we don't see the exact ending of actually seeing it like fully die, but we kind of understand that she probably made it out. Okay. Exactly. So I think this story has fantastic action. Uh, I think through and through, I was really like, this story did, did such a great job of, of putting me right there in the face of this of this horrible beast. Uh, and I think description was used here very well in how they and de- how they describe the just veracity of this beast, the the bloodlust of this uh, of this bloodlust beast. Uh, and just by reading this, I got like a lot of um, Bloodborne vibes, in a sense, just in the de- in the description of of this monster. Um, and I think throughout the thing that like really does take this the front stage is um, this this action. I think it's really well well done and uh, really well written, and it does a fantastic job of uh, taking us through how the villagers 
and uh, even Kayla are trying to combat this beast. So yeah, really great entry. Yeah, I think what's good about it is that it, it takes the time to do one thing at a time, um, focusing on, we, we look at the, the creature and what it's doing before we go back to, to Kayla and her situation with uh, the gun jamming or not having enough bullets. Um, and uh, those are separated enough that we don't get them confused flowing back and forth. Mm-hmm. So thank you very much, Ace of Sword. And uh, next up is is by Stop Stealing My Gmail with They Come in Terror. Um, with uh, an author's name of A.L. Uh, Michelle. Or Mitchell, I'm not entirely sure. Um, mm. So uh, we, we have our, our character here, Martha, who is uh, behind a coffee shop and it's late at night. And she's looking for this dumpster cat, which she, she normally feeds before she goes home. Um, Wilhelm. Yeah, named Wilhelm, which is a great name for <laughs> a dumpster cat. Um, also, I just like saying dumpster cat. <laughs> um, Honestly, that that sounds like a really awesome like post-punk band. That's very true. So uh, she's trying to see the cat. Normally the cat comes out at this time, but uh, he's not coming out for some reason. And so she's starting to feel a little, a little creepy. Um, there's uh, some rustling in, in the, the forest. There's a lot of lights are out now. It's, all, it's pretty dark. She pulls out her, her phone with her flashlight and it's looking around, but doesn't see anything. And but she's getting like a sort of like prey signal saying that like something is wrong. She's being watched or something. She tries to go back inside, but it turns out that uh, it, the door like locked on accident as it is want to do. And uh, now she's got to call someone to, to get her, but she's still afraid. Something comes out. There's more rustling in the wood. The, 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 she, first, she, she spots the cat and it's dead. Um, at the end of uh, the forest right there. And uh, then there's a monster standing over it with uh, an unusually large head, a tall, slender body, blood dripping from a thin mouth. It's really horrible. She feels like she can't move, and uh, we see it uh, walking towards her, and that's that's the, the last that, that's the last sentence we get there. Mm-hmm. So yeah, this, this story does a fantastic job of building this uh, tension. I mean, already we start off in a very eerie place, out, out back, late, uh, next, next to a dumpster. Uh, and we are first met with nothing but good intentions, in which, which I really like how, how in the beginning there is no kind of tale telling us that uh, it would get so dire and uh, eerie. But as, as we go on through the story, we are we are picking up on these subtle details. Uh, it is cold. This this main character is is next to this forest. There are there are rustles in the woods, and all of these small things are are used to completely shift the the tone. And then as as soon as we see this this dead cat, well, of course we we automatically know what is going to happen, that there is a beast lurking somewhere. So yeah, I just think this this story does a really great job at um, setting up that tension and, uh, really, and, and really bringing us through it to, to a point to where we know she's going to die, and it's sad. Um, and yeah, I just, I just really love uh, the sort of small journey that this, that this story takes us on. And I think it's very well, well written, so really great job. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I really like how uh, we, we start to like our, our main character, Martha, immediately. She's doing a nice thing for a little cat. Um, if I am mm-hmm. going to do a little critique, is the monster, I feel like 
I feel like the, the the description we got was like horrifying enough, but I feel like mm-hmm. because Martha's able to look directly at it, that it could have warranted a longer description because I feel like mm, she I got see. a good enough look at it that we could have got more details. You know, maybe it's like hairless or maybe it's like that really gross in between where it's like, it's got like mm. some hairs, but not that many or it's scaled. Or, yeah, but it's like patchy. Yeah. yeah. Or if the head is like, what, like what shape is this unusually large head, right? Is it like, like a human head? Is it uh, more like a, like balloon shaped with like a face, like flat on it? You know, there's yeah. just some more horrifying things. On the other hand, if specifically she can't really see the details, you can only see like the silhouette and maybe like eyes in that mouth. That's a, a different thing. Um, but yeah, yeah. I, it just seemed to I me mean, that she could see more than we could see. Yeah, I mean, within my my reading, I was kind of under the assumption that that all that all this was was happening under the cover of of night, which for me, I thought that's why we didn't get like such deep of a of a dis of a description of this beast but i think probably stating that mm. or or you know uh as you said pick pick one or the other is this beast hidden or is it in broad daylight and uh if and if this main character can see this this creature well then yeah i would love a a full full of uh, rundown of uh, what this um this scps creature really is um so yeah, but overall, really great job, and I uh, really loved the tension that was being built here. Yeah, absolutely. Nice. Well, all right. Up next is is by Sensei Sama Senpai with Teddy. Uh, so this is one of the uh, the really humorous stories, but also really horrifying at the same time. <laughs> it it runs this this middle ground where uh, I was feeling both like this is ridiculous, but also like kind of uncomfortable so yeah uh we open up in a kind of ridiculous ridiculous place at the beginning with our, our main character saying it's all at fucking bear's fault um and and they're <laughs> sobbing to jimmy um because they're they were drunk but everything is has fallen apart in their life uh recently so um first the, the first thing that happened is that they just saw a bear inside their house just staring at them a huge black bear and it's saying, I want honey's life. Honey as in, like, the <laughs> plural honey's life. Before it left. Um, and then, uh, in in the wake of that, uh, they were fired from their job. And then, as they were leaving, they saw the bear again. In a suit and tie, uh, coming in for a job. And, and our main character asked people do you see the freaking bear over there? And they were just like, oh, yeah, that's just Teddy. I mean, he, he is kind of large. He's, I don't know if he's a bear. It's really the right term. Um, and so he's this Teddy is kind of like replacing him at his job. And then uh, mm-hmm. when when he asked the, the bear, why is he doing this? Uh, Teddy says, or the bear anyway, I want Honey's life again. So it's just now, it, it, it sounds so weird, but it's getting kind of ominous at this point. Mm-hmm. And uh, then our main character George uh, gets cancer, uh, so that's not good. But and then on the way home, they they go to to pick up their daughter, and their daughter has made a new friend named Teddy, so Ooh. that's also concerning. Uh, and then the 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 our our final scene is that uh, he goes home, and uh, in <laughs> in the bed in in their bed, uh, his his wife has uh, Mary says. Honey, this isn't 
I could explain. Um, and then the bear says, I have Honey's life now. Which is, um, it's because it's the, the bear is fucking his wife. Uh, which is very uncomfortable. <laughs> it's very uncomfortable. Very. <laughs> I mean, I mean, honestly, this story, as you said, toes this, this line between being comical and very eerie. Uh, I know at the very end, I was cracking up, but also had this feeling of, oh no, right? Because um, we we like walk through this this man's uh, recent days um, and just see how it's kind of fallen uh, apart while his his friend is saying, well, could it be the uh, cancer? And then they never really spoke anymore about that. I think, um, honestly, overall, I really like how this story was structured, how we kind of started at the ending and then we... And then we walk back through it, um, and I think through through that we were at we were off the jump, kind of pulled pulled into the story. I think I think the beginning has a really great hook, um, and then overall I uh, really like just a lot of the prose and uh, how we are moving throughout this this person's day, while also only focusing on the most in important things. Um, so yeah, overall, I think uh, a lot of the events that, that happen within this story are very unexpected um, and and toe the line of comical and, and very eerie. So I would say that this is definitely a, a must-read. Uh, there are a lot of drawing factors that just makes this a pretty good read. So really good job. Uh, yeah, yeah. Like I said, um, I was laughing, but I was also horrified. Uh, the only thing mm-hmm. I would criticize is just... Um, the uh, I Want Honey's Life is a little, you know, ham-fisted, but it just, just that it doesn't, like, fit neatly. But I think that's also part of the, just the ridiculousness of it. So it also yeah, works. Yeah, because, because the phrase itself is so vague. Like, <laughs> every time I, I read it, I was like, what is he talking about? Yeah. <laughs> and I honestly, even, even up to the very ending, I still never really got it, but I, I got the meaning of it you know like saying that that i have honey's life um so yeah really good Mm -hmm. up next is by captain rhino with on debates or a treatise concerning the role of the magistrate and the citizen in regulating the discourse of men so this this is an interesting this is an interesting piece so this is um and and captain rhino uh, kind of outlines the inspirations in uh, comments afterwards. But this is a piece in- inspired by how a lot of um, old philosophers would uh, sort of create, when, when they were trying to make a point, they would make up characters having a debate. And through that, they would eventually come to their answer um, that you are supposed to take away from it. It's kind of like a Socratic method kind of thing using these these characters. So um, I think... Um, Socrates did it with uh, Plato as a character, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and uh, Captain Rhino specifically cites Galileo as doing that with um, a, a character that believes that the Earth revolves around the sun and another character that believes the sun revolves around the Earth and then another that is neutral. So in this one, we have uh, we have three characters. We start off with... The, the, our main two are Li- Libertas and Fidus. I don't know exactly... Mm-hmm which ones these represent, but I almost think that Libertas kind of is almost like a libertarian viewpoint. Um, mm-hmm. And so Libertas is really trying to assert the point um, in this section that um, since at this point in the book, it, it's, it's 
implied that there's a lot more context, a lot of stuff going on in the book other than these characters. So implying that uh, because we have at this point proven that in this world that uh, there is no God or they, uh, God cannot be cited as a place for morality, um, that therefore uh, the, that all morality has to be like debated, right? And mm-hmm. so Libertas is, is asserting that they everything should be debatable, everything. And then uh, Fidus is doing like a gentle um, pushing against it and kind of summons another character, Caution. So kind of representing the idea of Caution. So uh, Caution points out that they are sitting on Mount Privilege uh, and to look down at the, the bottom of the mountain and see how um, there's a lot of uh, people that don't sit on the Mountain of Privilege um, and ask the question of uh, should these debates end poorly? Is it the people who are debating it that would suffer or is it the people that are not on this mountain with us and it is the people that are not in the mountain and so libertas um kind of sort of uh, accepts it but basically says again that we still have to debate things um either way and then caution says um i can't actually answer that question of of, of like where to find morality if we are not debating everything but I, I can only give uh, caution. And then Libertas says, I despair of these fools. And so <laughs> the, the, the point through this is that we, we go through this, this topic, we kind of weigh the pros and cons. And I think it's a, it's a pretty balanced viewpoint where, um, yeah, caution does bring up a good point. Um, and at the same time, it also doesn't like provide a specific solution. And uh, so we're left with the question in our heads of, of trying to answer that. And also how we sort of uh, get characterization of these characters on just how they're talking. Like Libertas is a little bit um, a, a little bit arrogant, it, it seems like. And so we kind of think that he's a little bit of a dick, but he's also, you know, making good points. He's clearly like smart at the very least. It's very interesting. Yeah, uh, it is very uh, interesting. I think my favorite thing about this story is this sort of back and forth debate that that they are having and how one point of view is not uh shown any more than than the other as you said it's a very even debate all uh around and yeah i just i just really love uh these different viewpoints kind of clashing in this sort of very chilled uh mediated way um and yeah i think overall uh as you said uh the the lines that each character does have is characterizing that that character or that idea more so even more um and yeah i just think it is really well well written and it um definitely uh asks a lot of the questions that it is impossible to really find any real answer to but but at the same time i think you know asking these questions are very important so yeah just just really great job at at least bringing up these these uh, these questions and kind of talking about them in a in a very well written i guess you can call this a, a dialogue scene um, but yeah, it's, I think it's something yeah. called. I think it might be called a Socratic dialogue. I think exactly. Yeah. So yeah, I am. I think that this story is very refreshing to to see. It is uh, far different than most other things that have been submitted to to do the right thing. And I'm very glad that I was able to read it. So yeah, yeah really great job. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. All right. Up next is our last story for for this week. Aw, but. <laughs> It is by Kamikaze Tomato with Bare Necessities. So the Simple Bare Necessities. This is a really, really funny story. Uh, I absolutely <laughs> recommend going to, to read it. 
Um, it's going to be less funny as I, well, I think it actually would be still funny if you read it after we explained it, but you should go read it. Um, yeah. it's pretty hard to summarize. Um, <laughs> so I, I, and I'm going to just say it now rather than later, but, um, I think at the very beginning, uh, Kamikaze Tomato was kind of figuring out what they were going to write. Cause the story mm-hmm. definitely shifts over time of like what the focus of the joke is. Yeah. Um, but we open here, you don't use a sword to fight a bear because fighting bears, it means fighting them on the bear's terms. Because the great force god uh, once got drunk and proclaimed the holy edict, henceforth shall none bear arms against bears, save for that which bears are armed with, and uh, then made it like a true fact of reality. Which means that uh, bears can only be killed by things that bears use to kill things. Mm -hmm. Um, As in basically (laughs) only bears can kill bears. So now all the bears are invincible, and uh, death by aging or starvation are apparently... Uh, weapons that bears don't have to kill other people and so they can't die from those so there's only a few ways to kill them you could do and and the story for the most part is going through each of these options you could wrestle them this doesn't really work um, because they can they're they're stronger than you even if you're a martial Mm -hmm. artist another option is to uh, train bears to fight bears which is possible (laughs) Um, but your own uh, bear army yeah but the the evil bears might team up against the, the trained bears and also, you know, there's always a case of bear defections, right? And they've, you know, you just trained them, right? So they're, like, extra effective, right? Um, until they finally start the Bear Slayer Force, uh, which our main character, Bregger, which I, it's just, it's a good name, was a trainee bear slayer, climbs into basically a bear mech that looks like a bear <laughs> in every respect um, to go out and fight bears, right? Which is a, which is a good time. Um, I, I love this, the, the, the little details that, that, uh, allude to a greater culture around just this, this conflict, including like, um, plays and stuff, uh, around the bear slayers, including one where it's a tragedy where two bear slayers mistake each other for bears and they kill each other when they were actually romanced, uh, they, <laughs> they were lovers. It's really good. Uh, but here we, we see Gregor, uh, go on his uh, his day, you know, do a little bit of a of a patrol. He finds a bear cub, and he's getting prepared to kill it, but uh, he's really bad at it, and it just the bear cub tears open his uh, suit, and uh, he's like, "Oh shoot! What am I going to do now? My bear suit's destroyed. It might kill me because it's still invincible." But then it cl- crawls in and like cuddles him, and he's like, "Okay, different new new plan. Um, <laughs> instead of killing this plan bear B. cub." And because I still would get in trouble because I, you know, broke my bear suit, um, I'm going to get fired or suffer other consequences. I'm going to take this bear. I'm going to take it home. And then I'm going to raise it. And I'm going to train it to be a bear slayer and to act like a bear slayer suit in every way. And eventually, after four years, I'll be able to retire. So that's <laughs> that's his whole plan, which is an interesting way to end the story. <laughs> Very. Uh, I really love, um, especially the like second half of of this story. I think uh, this story does a, does such a great job of just uh, creating so much so much world building from this um, event that you would think would be pretty small, but actually is a very crucial issue that changes this entire uh, so- society. Uh, yeah, and I think this this story is filled with so many fun moments. Uh, when uh, when you're going through all of the uh, all of the different ways on how they've tried to 
to kill bears to where it gets to this point of 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 absurdity where like as you said they are in these bear mechs like zero suit gundam s mechs um (laughs) that that are being used all to uh kill these bears so yeah i think this story has a fantastic tone to it i think the I think the world building is uh, very well done. Uh, and I think at the very end, uh, when we do get a main character and we sort of walk with them through uh, th- through their day, uh, it it definitely makes this, this sort of world that is being built feel so much more real in a sense since, since we have a, a, since we have a pair of eyes to kind of look through. Uh, and I think the very ending is funny and and hilarious, and I'm excited to see if this four year plan really works out as as the, as uh, Gregor wants it to. Uh, so yeah, I would say this is definitely a, a must read if you uh, want to laugh and just read a very uh, fun and uh, fantastically written story. So fantastic job, Kamikaze Tomato. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, I really enjoyed reading this. Um, I, I really did enjoy the those little details that alluded to, to so much more. There's another one um, that mentioned uh, how this particular area was mostly emptied because most of the bears had like joined uh, the the roaming bear dryers, which mm-hmm. is such a great like. <laughs> it, so I, I assume that basically means like the hordes of bears. Like there's just mm-hmm. giant hordes. Yeah, it's yeah. There's a lot of implication there, and it was really yeah, it was a, really entertaining. Exactly, and uh, quickly while while reading it, I, I realized that this would be the absolute worst world to uh, live in. Like, mm-hmm. all right, so thank you so much to everyone who did submit this week. We wish we could talk about all of y'all, but we cannot. For I have homework due in ten hours. Uh, but <laughs> uh-huh. we w- but we would love to sit, to give a good old fashioned do the right thing shout out to everyone who did submit a story this week. So. Thank you very much to Ace of Sword. Thank you to Sarah Penguin. Thank you. Stop stealing my Gmail. Which is a great username and uh, a new writer. Thanks so much for joining us. Uh, thank you to Sensei uh, Sama Senpai, another new writer and also a great username. Uh, yeah, that, thanks for submitting. Thank you, Captain Rhino. Thank you, M. Rees. Thank you, Kamikaze Tomato. Thank you to Sithril. Thank you, Yeti Mancer Quest. And thank you so much to Haunt of the Heron. Mm-hmm. And also, we will love to give a great thank you to all those who did leave comments. Leaving comments not only helps you figure out what worked and didn't work within your own story, but you are providing someone else, another amateur writer, with crucial feedback that can, in turn, make their writing so much better. So thank you very much to Haunt of the Heron, Yeti Mancer Crest, Sithril, Captain Rhino and Kamikaze Tomato. Thank you so much for leaving comments. Yeah, y'all are doing such a great job leaving comments. Um, it's it's so satisfying uh, to uh, go into the comments and see like a really high number of total comments, and then like a much less number of like submitted stories. And I know that sounds weird, but like it's satisfying to see that ratio, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And to see that there's a back and forth. There was some where I saw that it was like multiple like a whole thread of like, you know, six comments back and forth, a a conversation. And I, yeah, I really appreciate that y'all are doing that. And, um, I hope that you guys are enjoying getting comments on your own stories. That's awesome. Keep it up, please. If you want to be like all of these wonderful writers and submit your story to do the right thing, you can do that by going to slash r slash do the right thing and posting your story within that, within that week. 
All you have to do is sit down for 30 minutes and write a complete short story using three of four words for that week. That's right. Uh, if you want to find out the words as soon as they come out, the best way to do that is to follow us on Twitter. Or um, also, to, to, to if you do the Patreon and the Discord, I always post it there too. So that's not a bad place either. Just, just saying. Uh, if you don't have a Reddit account... Uh, and you want to send us a story or just l- let us know uh, what you think of stuff. I'm starting to pause, probably post discussion threads consistently. Probably. We'll see. I'm so bad about consistency. I, I need <laughs> to figure something out to just solve that part of my personality. But anyway, um, you can send us an email at rightthinkcast.gmail.com or you can follow us on Twitter, which is at rightthinkcast. Exactly. And... If you want to support us and all of the wonderful things that are going on in Doof Media, you can do that by going to the Doof Media Patreon. All you have to do is donate $1 or more per month, and you will get access to the Doof Media Discord, which is filled with wonderful people looking for a fantastic conversation. And... If you decide to to donate $10 or more per month, you get access to special bonus episodes, including one that me and Matthias did talking about Modico Magica. That's right. I've been saying it's going to come out for a really long time. I'm going to do it tonight. I promise. It's it's coming out Monday morning, the same time that this episode is out. You can find it on Patreon. I promise. (laughs) I think. Well, I'm going to hold you to that. I think you should. I think I deserve... Uh, consequences if I don't. So uh, <laughs> I think that would be fair. Uh, so Matthias, would you mind telling me what's going on in Doof Media right now? Yeah. So I th- th- this week is actually the Doof Game Club coming out on this Saturday. So if you have not ever participated in the Game Club, you can uh, show up to the live stream discussion, leave your uh comments, and Elliot and Ruben will will respond to them as as you say them. Uh, this month we are covering uh, Slay the Spire, which is a Ooh. roguelike uh card based dungeon crawler. I think is kind of a uh, sort of summary of it. And I, I've i heard it's very good. It actually has a reference to Worm in it, which was a, mm, a big deal the, really? when we first found that out. Um, so there's a little bit of a connection there. Speaking of Worm, this week is uh, the final overview episode of Decomposing Worm. So uh, after this Friday, Clarence will have read all of Worm. And I will have read all of Worm for the fifth time. <laughs> I think like seventh time <laughs> too many times I should s- stop reading the same book over and over <laughs> um, yeah so that's actually like a really big deal um, and I'm very excited to to do that I, I have almost finished reading that myself and uh, it's a wild ride worm still holds up um, yeah it's 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 pretty cool um, and uh, yeah I can't believe it's it's so close to ending just that episode and then one more perspectives episode after that and uh, that's the show. So, wow! Um, if you haven't caught up in a while, uh, now's a pretty good time to do that. Mm-hmm. And maybe I should like start re rereading Worm. <laughs> I think at this point you should just skip and go to go to Pale. I think I think mm. you you should just do that. So you think it's it's too late for me? Basically, I think so. <clears throat> wow. I mm-hmm. mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. Alright, so let's go ahead and get into next week's words, which are pace, separate, stroke, and visual. Alright, uh, so pace, as in to set the pace, as in uh, the the rate at which usually someone walks, but it can mm-hmm. be the rate of, of really anything. Mm-hmm. Um, Seven paces left, two paces uh, up. Yeah, paces is also a word for steps. 
Um, I think that's probably all the, the definitions there. Separate, um, which is in like the verb to separate two things or um, two people can be separated or mm-hmm. uh, are separate objects. A stroke as in like to have a stroke, like a heat stroke, mm. or as in the motion as in to stroke something, um, preferably only using it in like the petting sense. Thank you. Um, <laughs> but also like a, like a golf stroke or the stroke mm-hmm. of an oar, I think is also a term. So you got a lot of options there. Um, in visual, as in the um, what you see, uh, usually on either like a like a heads up display or um, like just what is within your visual. So a lot of options here. These are some pretty broad words um, mm-hmm. where they don't have like a ton of alternate re- meanings, but I think that you can use them fairly easily. So yeah, what what's the story you're gonna write next week, Jarvis? Oh, uh, I haven't had time to think about it, but the story that I'm going to write next week is going to be a classic pirating adventure. Uh, we will follow um, the olive-skinned pirate um, Black uh, Black Hair, who is famously really known intimidating for having, name. Yes, who is famously known for having long black streaks of uh, hair that that he would lock um, old tobacco into and light it on fire to give himself this otherworldly look. Uh-huh. Uh, and and But, you see, the sad thing is that this great pirate ship was overtaken. And, and he was forced with him and, and his two best men into in a dinghy. So, they sailed off. Making sure to use the the largest um, oar strokes possible to get there as fast as as they could, but then above on the horizon, they they got visual of Skull Island, and if we know anything about Skull Island, is that whatever lies there, which could be treasure or goodies, is heavily guarded by a fifty plus foot gorilla man. Mm-hmm. So, so of so of course, black hair, uh, being the most confident uh, sailor in, in the high seas, decided to to land there and follow and follow this very poorly written map that that he managed to grab from his ship before they were forced out of it. And the map stated twenty seven paces past past the main head of Skull Island. Two paces left and 17 right. So they followed it, slowly but surely, up until they found this this massive separation between North Skull Island and South Skull Island. And there, hidden deep within those, those, those waters, would be treasure beyond their wildest dreams. But the issue, or the curse of this island... Is is that three may enter the the waters for treasure, but only two, most of the time one, will ever come out to reap wow. their spoils. Wow. Mm-hmm. So, uh, what hopefully better story are you gonna write next week? Um. So, uh, there's this guy, and uh, he uh, he's actually pretty old. He's like seventy years old, and he's having heart problems, right? Um, and so he eventually, you know, went to the doctor after a pretty close heart attack scare. Um, 
uh, he, he went to the doctor and uh, they decided that the, the, the best way to, to go forward would be to give him a pacemaker. And so there was a, there was a big surgery. They, they gave him this uh, experimental pacemaker that is supposed to uh, integrate with his nervous system uh, much, much deeper uh, than, than anything else. And uh, so it worked pretty well at first. Uh, but then as he was on his way to the grocery store, um, his, uh, his, his sight, everything in his visual kind of seemed to, seemed to split. He was seeing double, but not just double, seeing kind of different versions of each one, almost mm. as if like he was seeing like a mirror dimension. And so his vision continued to separate and he thought he was having a stroke, but it turns out he was just going, he was just going full cyborg. And because the soul of the pacemaker, which had the soul of an AI inside Whoa. of it, it was integrating with his body. And so he could see both the physical realm and the cyber realm of the world. And he like saw the Wi-Fi in the air and he became a cyborg seven year old man. And he saw crimes and uh, figured out how social media works which is really different in the future uh, we don't use likes anymore um, it's more the connotation of spitting on people that's the main uh, like button you click it's not called spit it's usually called something like kick or something but it's kind of like the same connotation as like spitting in someone's face mm. um, in, in the insulting way specifically uh, and so he's kind of just figuring that out and solving crimes uh, and kind of just being like a cool guy. Wow. I think you just made like the better upgrade movie. So <laughs> <laughs> that was fantastic. This I is like... uh, the better Inspector G- Inspector Gadget. Yeah. Oh, I miss Inspector Gadget so much. Uh, honestly, I, I, I really think we should do a a do the right thing special when we only do inspector gadget uh fanfic that'd be fantastic that's a good idea uh in fact i think we should go we should just because there's just so much to explore there i feel like we should keep going it for like a month at least like four different episodes uh just on different aspects of inspector Mm -hmm. gadget you know you know we can focus on the science fiction aspects we can focus on the, uh, the the more the, the character aspects yeah. of Inspector, you, you know, the, 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 the true like villains, the core Dr. themes, Claw. you know, yeah. that just like the 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 struggles that Inspector Gadget faces. I think between all of that, um, we might come out the other side uh, doing the right thing. Ooh, doing the right thing, huh? No. <laughs> <laughs>